right, good morning. People are coming in. Good to see you. Good to be with you after being gone. It really feels like I've been gone for a while. So um, I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm back after uh, a wedding and Julie Nichols and Tway Ho, who are kind of regular attenders at the church, got married. Um, and I was able to officiate that and got to go see my mom and stuff. So it was really wonderful. Um, but you were constantly on my mind. And so, which is a good thing, not the bad way with pressure. I got to do stuff, but just I got a family. So I thank you for being my family. Um, so today we have a wonderful day of worship uh, for you. We are, are so grateful that we can come together and share about what it means to deepen our spirituality. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, our mother, we thank you so much for the nurture and care that you've given us particularly throughout this season that we've been in. We thank you, Lord, that um, we know what it is to have life and that you show us the places where it exceeds our dreams. And you are encouraging us constantly, Lord, to reach for more of you, reach for a deepening relationship, not only with you, but with the family who's gathered here and beyond. And so, Lord, we ask your continued grace and mercy on our day, that you would be with us as we worship you together, that you would unite our hearts and minds as only your Holy Spirit can do. And we will endeavor always to give your name praise and glory, to live in a way that signifies that we honor you and we honor all that you've created. So this is our desire, Lord. Help us to be new and transformed in our thinking. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We have a uh, kind of eclectic mix of, of worship, different people worshiping today. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it. So God bless. Sit back. Praise the Lord. Bless me the time that finds Oh, 
since I've been away, I don't really have any or many announcements. Just want to let you know that AJ Wallace is continuing in his training with uh, Jessica. Look at that big smile on her face. <laughs> Um, I hear that he is doing wonderfully, and uh, the plan is for him to take over full responsibilities on September 1st. And so he's working toward that, and um, just seems like a really sweet human being and a good mix for our church. So we're happy about that. I was so thank you. I want to thank everybody. The six folks who said they were interested in helping to do the production of our service, we're going to be changing over how we do it pretty soon. Um, and so we have six people to work with, uh, with that, with the new format, and uh, that's exciting because the fall is coming, and so life continues even in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and so I'm grateful for that. We want to thank Kennedy and Parker for uh, the worship they gave us, the tie that binds. Um, it's appropriate and apropos, so be blessed. Lord, thank you for your word uh, that you have given it, that we uh, can learn and be changed. Um, help me as I preach today to share what you would have me to say in the way that you would have me say it. Help our hearing, Father, all of ours, that we can hear the bits and pieces and form a whole picture of um, the lesson you have for us and how you want us to respond and move in the world today. Um, we love you, and we want to live as people who love you in the earth. And because the love is so real, we get to share it with everybody. So help us in that endeavor, oh God, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So um, the last time, can you guys hear me? Thumbs up if you can. I'm feeling kind of quiet. The last time I was uh, with you, I spoke on our, our need to fight apathy. I called it our current enemy and said that apathy was dangerous because we lose our ability to confront life's challenges. When we experience apathy, we lose the ability to envision a better future for ourselves, for those we love, and for the world. Apathy is an enemy um, for many of us. Uh, maybe many of us are contending with it presently. And uh, two weeks ago, I shared that to fight apathy, the apathy that threatens um, to take hold of our hope and our ability to, uh, to dream, um, we need a deeper spirituality. I define spirituality as our connection with something or someone greater than ourselves, that being Jesus, and connecting with Jesus and discovering meaning in life, which gives us hope. I shared how engaging with a couple of former dialogue partners, uh, James Cone and Gustavo Gutierrez, were aiding me in my fight. And that sermon was entitled, Have You Been Converted Since You First Believed? Um, in the uh, Christian church, in Christian church terms, we have often used the word converted to speak of a person coming to believe in Jesus, to bring someone from one belief or another point of view. Once not a Christian, the person is now a Christian. So we see it in terms of a state of being. And this is true, and this is a gift of God. But there's also the meaning that speaks to a process of change. When something is converted, it has been adapted for a new use, a suitable use, a new purpose. Um, I would say that 
we are all in a constant state of change, of growth, of being made useful or being used because our understanding is increasing, forgotten purposes for the healing and transformation of the earth. And so we are constantly being converted. So the question, have you been converted uh, since you first believed? It's a question about where you are in process. Our belief in Jesus's death, well, more so his life, his death and resurrection is our launch point to begin being converted. I said before, I say it again, I wish it all could take place this, but it's not, it's a process. Um, and that process of participating in my conversion, in your conversion, in our collective conversion daily is a process of deepening our spirituality, a deepening connection with Jesus discover meaning in life and to live within the framework of the meaning Jesus is helping us discover. I um, strongly suggested that we, Mosaic and friends, need a spirituality that is deeply rooted in our lived experience with God, in the history that we um, are currently writing each and every day of our lives. Henry Nouwen wrote that uh, in the forward for Gutierrez's book, We Drink From Our Own Wells. To drink from our own well is to live our own life with the spirit of Jesus as we encounter him in the concrete historical reality of life. This is, has everything to do with a tangible, audible, visual experience of God, an experience so real that it can become the foundation of a life project the foundation of our lives. I wanna spend some time considering our spirituality, our connection with Jesus, and Jesus guiding us to find meaning in life as the foundation of our lives. Our connection with Jesus is made available to us through the Spirit. We were given the living presence of God, the Holy Spirit, who is to be forever with us. We are to live life in and with the spirit in such a tangible and real way, <clears throat> it truly does become the foundation of our life, our existence, our life project. <clears throat> Conscientiously working on this life process works to correct the ineffective aspects of the mental models of our relationship with God we have. Why do I call them ineffective? Well, think about this. How are they working? How are your mental models, the things you always thought about life, how are they working now? How have they been disrupted in these last five, six months? Um, that gives evidence that we need to grow. It's, it's been hard to get motivated. The pain of our past church experiences may still weigh heavily on us. Trying to find something positive to live for beyond the, the small world we create out of our family and our friends, instead of expanding and growing, uh, I have to ask, do you find yourself asking if this is it? All of what life has to offer, do you know in your knower that there's something more? And do you feel like you're missing out? If only you knew how to whatever, it would make it better. In times past, we saw our relationship with God from the perspective of 
domination, and control. This is how one of the ways we define spirituality. The focus and energy of our spirituality was on controlling bodily impulses, on controlling other people and their bodily impulses, and that if we could somehow control that, we would be good Christians, better Christians. We'd be on point, right? In the past, we understood grace in our connection with God to be something that was needed for admittance to heaven and not necessarily grace that is needed for the formation and continuing of relationship. That grace was something that we need every day in each moment of the day that helps us perceive of our relationship and the, and the opportunity and God's favor and opening doors for us to live. But in the past, it was about heaven and not about living. In the past also, we viewed spirituality as something otherworldly. We looked at our time at Earth, on Earth as this testing period, and that if I could live this place right and do everything I was supposed to do, check the boxes, dot the I's, cross the T's, then I would be good, and, and I would get through the trials and the tribulations that were before me so I could get on to the real life, that this wasn't my home but heaven. And I've shared before that, um, we were created for earth, and therefore the end of our scriptures talks about there being a new heaven and a new earth for us to live, and that it's not so much uh, new in the sense of, um, well, I won't even want to get into that, it's another, that's another sermon, um, but it's not so much otherworldly as very present here because God has entered into time, and God is a part of our everyday history. And so our spirituality is something that walks with us, that moves us through each day and how we function in the course of those days and weeks and years. In times past, we define the depth of our spirituality and our performance of the rituals of faith and our performance of prayer and of fasting of the study of the scripture, intending to the poor, of our church activities and attendance. And this required us to be separate from the world, to cloister together, almost um, in this holy huddle so we wouldn't be influenced by the bad things that were taking place. Um, we, we, we were focused on the day that one day we would leave it and its problems behind. We awaited our deaths and the world's destruction I think that's because of the ways that Gnostic belief that everything of the earth and flesh is bad has invaded our mental models of Christianity. And so that I'll fly away mentality, that um, getting away from here, this is not my home mentality, is a part of the mental models that we have because, yes, heaven is such a better place, but we have to remember that God intends to bring heaven to earth and transform us in the way we live life together. And though we attended um, group gatherings, we saw our relationship with God as a relationship, as my relationship and your relationship. Individually, we needed to do what's the right things to get into heaven. Individually, we needed not to sin anymore and to work toward perfection to obtain God's promise. And Perfection was 
we'd say it was maturity, but in truth, it was about not doing things wrong, to be mature enough not to, to, to do things wrong. Spirituality was our individual pursuit of God to attain a goal. We all desired the goal, but it was our individual access to God. I hope I see you on the other side, but I'm working so I can make it. And I want to hear the individual, well done, good and faithful servant. And so it's more focused individually on the me and not we. But this isn't the case. We know in our nor that those things don't satisfy. We've lived that life in church and we all have in some ways tried to disrupt it. We know that there is something more. In the past, we saw our spirituality in disconnected, fragmented pieces. We gave attention and primacy to the parts or acts of spirituality. What makes spirituality spirituality is not found in its parts. We have to move from parts to the whole, the entire picture of spirituality. Each past view I mentioned was a part of what formed a relationship with God through the spirit. Though I don't hold on to domination and control, though I see grace so, as so much more than a ticket to heaven, though I no longer view spirituality as otherworldly or spooky um, or in something to be experienced when I get to heaven, though I see and participate in the rituals of prayer, of faith, of giving. I don't hold them as greater. I don't possess them or focus on them as greater than the whole of my spirituality. We live in a time and a culture that focuses or helps us to focus more so on the pieces because we dissect so many things and take it apart and we study each individual piece, but sometimes we fail to bring them back together and understand the primacy, the importance of the whole and the whole of our relationship with God. And even though I no longer view my relationship with God from an individualistic perspective, the parts that make us whole and move me, help me to focus on my relationship as a part of humanity with God. And even though I've experienced those changes in the mental models I use, and they're, they're gradually being transformed, I'm haunted by the old ways of thinking, those former understandings. So I wanna help us examine our mental models over the next few weeks. Our understanding of the world, our interactions with God in it, this is something I hope that we do already as a church. Examine how we think about things, probe and challenge things. But I wanna really look at them as mental models. So what is a mental model? It's our internal picture or the internal pictures we have of the world and how those internal pictures shape our actions and our decisions. It is the internal models that we carry that are being expressed in much of the confusion and angst 
and pain and separation that we are dealing with today. So to aid our understanding of spirituality and its deepening, I'd like to look at one of the mental models we have about what gets in the way of our deepening our spirituality. And to do that, I want to examine what is traditionally called the fault. Again, I call it the separation because I find it's more descriptive of what actually happened, but you don't have to call it that. To explain the separation of humanity from itself, from God, from create, from all creation, uh, we present it in the third chapter of the book of Genesis with the story. Now, let me say this. I'm still talking about this fight against apathy. I said to fight it, we need a deeper spirituality. Now, apathy is dangerous because, again, we lose our ability to confront challenges. And sometimes we look at what's taking place in the world and we want to throw our hands up. We don't have an answer. We want to give up. And, and as we continue to process this, we'll talk about what it means to be a part of a collective spirituality that enables us to do beyond what we could do as an individual, that the whole is able to move and cause things to happen, cause the kingdom to enter the earth. Um, we'll talk about that. But when we experience apathy, we lose the ability to envision a better future for ourselves and for those we love and for the world. Today, like no other uh, time in our collective lives, the generations that are here on the earth now, we must confront the challenges we are facing racially, globally, the pandemic, the economic issues, um, the rise of fascism, and so much more. The weight of these challenges threaten us, and we feel like we, feel like we can't rise above. But I want us to know that we can, and that there are uh, there is hope in the, in, the, in the way that God created us and ordered us, that attuning ourselves to that. Um, the scripture I sent to Jessica last night, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, King James Version. There's so many ways to be rich, but the richness from the blessing of walking in the way God created us to walk and to move and to live is that there's an exponential thing that happens so that you know, uh, scripture talks sometimes that one can capture a thousand, but two, ten thousand. We get in those ex exponential uh, um, effects. And it's not simple, simply a one-to-one -one ratio, but one can produce so much more. And we look for that. We thirst for that. We've had opportunities and experiences where we've worked maybe just in teams or, or, or we remember an event or a time in our lives when the people worked so well together. We saw so much happening and it felt so good that we strive for that. We look for that. We want that experience again. And that is part of what it is to be in a collective spirituality that's taking on the challenges of the world with faith and an ear in relationship with God. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So this conversation about deepening our spirituality is not moving us away from the issues we're facing, but it's equipping us to fight the challenges, to deal with and address the challenges that are before us. So I want you to know that I'm not off track. I'm staying with that. And these are component pieces that I'm talking about to get us there. So I haven't left current events and God's response to me. I believe God, I believe in God. Um, 
the God who is above history and acts in time. So he's above it and lives beyond it, but God also acts in it. And this is how God is moving in me to address this issue with you. Um, we must act in concrete ways to address the systemic evils of our structures. We can change laws. We can offer new programs. We can do lots of things in an attempt to fix the structures, but we will not, but we will be faced with the same problems again and again, even with our fixes. Why is that? The challenges we face will not truly be overcome. In fact, they can't be overcome until we address the core issues within them. The government works on programs, but to deepen our spirituality so God through the Spirit can work on our core, our heart, it requires a commitment to that work. It requires a commitment to fostering and growing in the, our relationship with God. This is the task of the church because it was the task that Jesus took on, and he has called us to continue that. Humanity had a convert, had a, so, okay, to talk about that, I want to go to the Garden uh, of Eden because in that text, there's an explanation for us um, when we think about, to think about the core issues that we're dealing with. And I want to deal with one, one primary core issue and think about it a little differently. So here we go. Humanity had a conversation with the serpent, meaning the male and the female, uh, and the serpent encouraged them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I just want to pick up from verse 6 through 11 in the third chapter of the book of Genesis. So then the eyes of them both were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the voice of the Lord as he, as God, was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? And the male answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said to them, who told you? This is verse 11. And God said to them, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now, after that came uh, blame game. But I, I want to get into the woman that you gave me. She caused me to eat. You know, then we got her story was the serpent caused me to do this the blame game. Now that's important and we're going to talk about that eventually, but I want to focus on just these, these few scriptures. Um, again, we can create programs that make us uh, think and makes it look like things are better on the outside, but we're simply um, becoming better thieves when we don't address the core issues. God gave humanity everything they needed for life and to enjoy life. He gave, God gave them everything but one thing, the fruit from the tree. Now, if they could find a use for the leaves of the tree or the bark of the tree, they could use that 
the only thing God told them they couldn't have not to eat was the fruit of the tree. So humanity stole the one thing God didn't give. And as a result, after they ate, they covered up. They heard God coming and they ran and hid themselves among the trees to look like what they were not. You see, what they provided for themselves was a superficial fix because they defined the problem. If we look at verse seven, we understand that they ate and then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. The superficial fix that they offered for themselves was to sew leaves together and to use them as coverings for themselves. It looked to them like this, this intervention would cure the problem because they defined the problem as nakedness. So covering, covering up made sense, problem solved, except when they heard God, they knew it wasn't, so they hid. So from the beginning of creation, we see that God desired to be engaged in human history. God who created all that there was entered, came down and walked in the cool of the day in his creation, in God's creation. God intended to live life with humanity in such a way that their interactions were to be the foundation of their life project, the foundation to their existence. But something happened and the superficial fix to the problem the humans came up with didn't fix it because their nakedness was a symptom. It wasn't the problem. Nakedness wasn't the issue. They stole what was not theirs and consumed it. And as a result, listen, they stole what was not there and consumed it. And as a result, their foundation was shifted. God's intention was to live life with humanity in such a way that their interactions were to be the foundation of their existence. I want to, uh, God intended to be present and to be close and intimate relationship with them. God came down daily according to the image that we are given in scripture to help us understand, um, to be with and to talk with and to give guidance and direction and to, and to talk, commune in, in any way that was desired by those first humans. But when they took what was not theirs, Again, their foundation shifted and everything changed. And I want to tell you that the core issue that they were dealing with was that shifting of their foundation. Now, I don't want to say that, uh, tell you that and just lay it out there so you guys just believe what I'm saying. Um, so I want to take you through a little word study, just a little one. Um, because I want to, you to see it in scripture for yourself. The problem, Genesis 3, 7, 8, and then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. In the Hebrew scripture, the word for eyes in this, in this scripture is ayin, A-Y-I-N. It means foundation, which can be defined as a way of life or belief. Now, the word for naked, then the eyes of them both were opened and they knew they were naked. 
Now the word, to understand the, the meaning of the word uh, used for naked in verse seven, we have to understand uh, that a different word was used earlier in Genesis. In Genesis 2.25, when God created humanity, uh, God said the man and the women were both naked and they were not ashamed. And so we have the use of the word naked in that verse with in one connotation and the use of the word naked in verse seven. They knew they were naked. In, in chapter two, verse 25, the word for naked is aron, meaning to be bare, to be open to view, unconcealed and undisguised. In chapter three, verse seven, the word is iron, which means to be nude, exposed, deprived of protection, shelter, and care. There was no shame experienced by those first humans. Um, they were open, they were unconcealed, they were not disguised in any way, <clears throat> and they experienced no shame. But there was shame from being exposed after they took what wasn't theirs and consumed it, and their foundation shifted. They shifted away from this relationship with God that was close and intimate, and it shifted and it took it off course. They were exposed. There was a shift. I submit that it was a shift in relationship where once they were encompassed in a spirituality that allowed them to be bare and open, and then the shift, with the shift came a change that left them feeling exposed without a sheltering, the sheltering covering of God that allowed them to feel care and protection and to allow that protection to radiate through them. They, helped, they had that no more. Our old mental models, mine, if not yours, focus on the acts that separated us from, from God and each other in creation and gave little attention to the core problem. So if it's these acts that separated me from God, then it's acts again that I need to perform, the rituals of spirituality that make me close to God. I know in my head that I have a relationship with God, but in truth, I have paid more attention to the pieces, the parts, um, the things that I do. In, the, in, in my past. And I'm growing now in the last few years beyond an acts-focused spirituality that's rested in, 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 in ritual and in securing a relationship. I don't have to secure that relationship. I know that God originally wanted and was, was, was moving toward that relationship with us in the very beginning of creation, that that shift that happened, that took us off our foundation, that relationship, us moving, our being spiritually attuned to God and inviting God to be with us in the course of our living. We got off, we shifted off of that. Um, we understand, for years it's been described as they fell because of sin. 
and we look at it as a need to claw our way back to dominate our flesh and subordinate it and others so we act right and believe the right things and get to heaven. I define this as a relationship with God, pious acts, caring for people, reading the scriptures, studying the Bible, praying, early morning devotionals. These parts became my focus, and I lost sight of the whole. I have a relationship with God, intimate and growing. So, of course, now it includes uh, giving and prayer and caring for others because with Jesus, that shift to the foundation of my being, the understanding that I am to live this life in relationship with God, in an invitation to God to be with me in the moments of each day, to look for God's movement, God's activity in the earth, to believe that God is still talking and moving in the earth, not just with me, but with you. This is the correction to the shift. I wasn't going to talk about this today, but I feel like I need to. There's a word, metanoia, in scripture. And it's been uh, defined uh, as repentance. But it was described to me in this way. Imagine all of us standing in a circle, right? But instead of facing the middle, we're facing the outside. And in the center is the, a bright, bright light shining. So when we look out from our positions, we don't see one another. We don't see the light. What we see are our shadows, images, vague expressions of who we are. In the fall, this is in the fall or the separation, this is the shift. We can kind of use this as an analogy of the shift that happened we were turned facing out, unable to see the connection we had with what was in the center and those that were around us, having uh, uh, only a shadow to help give us definition and understanding. But metanoia, that word that we use to say repent, actually means to shift and realign ourselves. So repentance is not like this one-time thing that we're saying, I repented from my sin and I'm saved. Okay, that's true. But it's this process that I am in this process of continually being changed, of continually reorienting or correcting my orientation, my foundation with God. So that I, I have a lifestyle of repentance. I have an understanding of repentance. My spirituality is based in that reorienting of myself to live life with God as God intended from the beginning and that Christ enabled us to through the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of us, living with us. We were never meant to live alone. He said alone is not good. He created humanity because God was already there. God was to be with us and those like us in sharing our existence with humanity. And so the mental models that we have that focus on actions away from this whole, this holistic relationship that we are to have with God and with others, the answer is 
to, to the ailments that we're dealing with is correcting those mental models that see us as separate, as individual, as isolated away from God and others, and to allow God to shift us, not just in an act, but in a transformation of the way we think. Because when our thinking is transformed, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. When our thinking is transformed, the actions that we take will be changed. How do you not be racist? You've got to transform your thinking in the way you see people in the world. The mental models that we have is if somebody has dark skin and is wearing baggy pants as a male, there may be criminal out to get you. The model that police officers have, if I stop a car with somebody who's of color in it, I may get shot, so I need to move first and fast, quicker than them, so I survive. The mental models, the core is wrong. So I can put laws on the books, I can give anti-bias training, but if it doesn't penetrate the heart, it's not gonna make a change. It is a temporary fix. And eventually in time, we will see the holes. If I just have a faith that works on me getting a, temp, a, a, a ticket to heaven, it is not the relationship that God wants, the closeness and the intimacy to walk together with God. Spirituality, a deepening spirituality is a deepening of relationship. Deepening spirituality is, is not just doing the rituals, but because I have this relationship, the rituals come. I'm not doing the rituals to get the relationship. I have the relationship and therefore it comes out of me because I want to know God and because I want to know you. And it is a reorienting, a correction, a shifting back into place. the act of repentance and moving and learning to stay in that, that it is the power of the relationship that keeps us oriented and not the acts, the power of the relationship we have with God. I hope that made sense to you all. It is the first step of many. We will continue uh, discussing this. Um, because it's time for us to shake off many of our old models. And to shake them off, we've got to look at them, examine them, and challenge them. They've framed an understanding of the world that is not true. And we have to ask God to help us see this world the way God sees it, help us understand and interpret the scripture the way God would have us, the way God interprets it, what God wants us to know. We need to shake off these mental models so that we can have a spirituality that doesn't separate us, but brings us together. Once upon a time, we were naked before God, and we were unashamed. Because of the finished work of Christ, we can be bare. The nakedness that means open to view, unconcealed, undisguised. No hiding with leaves trying to be something we're not. That is nakedness. We can be bare in information and be all right. We can grow to know what it means to be naked. 
And I know what I want to know more and more in my life, what it means not to be ashamed, not to be haunted. So, again, it's by dealing with those mental models. We'll do more. We'll talk more about this and how the scripture speaks to that. So, bless you. And I pray this uh, was meaningful to you. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it touches our hearts. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves to you. You are teaching us, renewing us in heart and mind. We thank you for it. We've never had experiences like this before. Help us as we go closer to you to define ourselves by who you are and what you call us to be. This is our prayer. This is our hope. In Christ's name. We continue in our worship. And next, we want to sing um, 10,000 Reasons to Bless the Lord. And we truly do have uh, so many reasons to give his name praise. I'm so thankful for you know the changes that are coming to our church with the addition of Raheem and AJ's coming. And um, you know, we are changing the world has changed and we're moving with it. And so we continue to see God on what we shall become. And so I love these songs, they're soft, they're gentle, and they're prayers. So we're singing prayers this morning to the Lord. So continue to pray with me as we share and worship 10,000 Reasons.
friend from um, Kenya, Kavutha Wanzia Asel, and her husband, uh, I always say Joseph, and it's Jacob. Jacob. So thank the Lord for, you know, we had uh, Parker and Kennedy and Mel Kavutha and her husband. I like these, I like dynamic duos of husband and wife that can do this worship thing. It's really nice. So, as we conclude our service, um, I'd like to read from um, Circle of Grace by Jan Richardson for our benediction. It's based on the scripture, uh, hoping against hope, he believed, found in Romans 4, verse 18. This is called Rough Translations. Hope, nothing less. Hope, despite. Hope, regardless. Hope, still. Hope where we had ceased to hope. Hope amid what threatens hope. Hope with those who feed our hope. Hope beyond what we have hoped. Hope that draws us past our limits. Hope that defines, expecta ex defies expectations. Hope that questions what we have known. Hope that makes a way where there is none. Hope that takes us past our fear. Hope that calls us into life. Hope that holds us beyond death. Hope that blesses those to come. May God bless you uh, today as you uh, continue to journey in life with God as your partner and partnering with the body of Christ. We'll see you next week, same time. I'm back in the office this week, so if you need anything, give me a call. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.